Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So over the past year, uh, my daughter and my wife, and mainly my wife, well, my daughter also, have been trying to break me down to get me to get a cat. And I don't want a cat. It's something else I have to take care of. It's something else I have to take to the doctors. It's something else you have to feed and pick up after. I mean, before we got married and started having kids, I mean, dogs were cool. Cats, I mean, they were all right. But, but then once you have kids, it's just another thing animal to take care of. And, and Daniela, she would really work. She, she'd go, well, Troy and Tyler, they, they sleep together in the same room. And, and you and mommy, y'all sleep together in the same room. And I'm, I'm all alone. <laughs> but I'm not getting a cat. As the leader of my house, I declared we were not getting a cat. So we got a cat this week. This is... Yes, that's, that's a little kitten, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but for some reason, there's a natural urge inside of me to get my kids the things they want. It doesn't mean I always can, but I want to give them what they want. And for people we love, we do this, don't we? We naturally are inclined to do the things uh, they want. We naturally want to make them happy. We want to surprise them. We want to do things that make them feel better. It's just what you do for people you love. Now that idea, although it's going to be hard, I want you to keep that idea on your mind, the forefront of your mind for the entire subject today. Because the next topic we're talking about in the You Pick series is the topic of, of hell. If you missed last week, last week we talked all about heaven and the new earth. If you missed any of that, you can go back. It's, it's on the internet. It's on our website. You can watch it. Uh, but this week we're talking all about hell. And I don't know about you, but hell isn't something we always want to talk about. There seems to be two different extremes on the topic. Either we don't want to talk about it because we're afraid it's offensive or, you know, it, it, it bothers people. Or we have preachers who talk about it too much. And it seems like they're excited that people could go there. But you asked about it, so let's talk about it. But what I want you to keep in mind is this, is that God ultimately gives us what we want. And that's hard to embrace, but it's the reality that God ultimately gives us what we want. There are so many objections to hell and this idea of hell, even from Christians. Many think, well, a loving God, a loving God, well, he could never send anybody to hell. This causes Christians to feel uneasy and perhaps embarrassed to think that we need to apologize for hell. And, and so it makes us rethink the whole topic and wonder, do we even need it? But we need to be embarrassed as hell as well, our country needs to be embarrassed about prison. Would you ever apologize for somebody going to jail for murder? I know that's an extreme example, but follow it through. Would you apologize to somebody for someone going to jail for murder? You say, well, no. 
We would never apologize for things like that. Because here's what we all know to some level, and we're going to walk through for a little while today, is that there are consequences for our actions. Aren't there? Yeah, it takes a while to realize this. The older you get, the, hopefully the younger you, you realize this, the better off your life will be. But there are consequences for our actions. It's just the reality of life. It's built into this world. And while we are free to make whatever choice we want, but we are not free from the consequences of that choice. So you can make just about any choice you want, but you're not free from the consequences of the choice you make. For instance, are you free to speed? Absolutely. You can speed and drive as fast as you absolutely want down the road, but you're not free from the consequences of getting caught speeding, are you? Maybe you get a ticket. Maybe they let you go. In fact, you're not free from the consequences of unsafe driving. Maybe you can't slow down enough. You're free to speed, but you're not getting out of the consequences of that choice. I'm free to eat as many donuts as I want. Am I free from the effects of those donuts? Right, this is built in, and we know this. I mean, we just got to think it through sometimes. We, we know this. We can't do whatever we want. I mean, we can, but we can't control the outcomes of those choices. Choices are like paths. And once we start down those paths, there's twists and there's turns and there's obstacles that we have to deal with. For the record, the Bible is very clear. There are consequences for our actions. We see this over and over and over again. We see Adam and Eve, well, they were kicked out of the garden. We see Noah's day, the world was flooded. David, he lost his first child with Bathsheba. Solomon, the kingdom was torn apart. Elijah, good choices. Elijah never died, he was taken up with the Lord. Noah and his family were saved on a boat. David, he stepped up to fight Goliath and he became the hero. You see, a biblical worldview embraces that there are consequences for our Actions. That's why wisdom is so important, uh, being able to predict what will happen. There's several Bible books dedicated to wisdom. The Bible is very clear. Think through the choices you're going to make. Think about what will happen if you do this certain thing. How many times have you heard this verse before? It's Joshua 24, 15. It says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, meaning you don't want to do it, he says, well, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We all have to make that choice. Joshua says, look, to, to the Israelites, if you want to serve the Lord, then serve God. You can then expect the outcome of a life in service to God. But if you want to serve the other gods... The baseball God, the football God, the career God, the money God. He says, okay, do it. But when those consequences catch up, just know we warned you. And this is one thing I try to teach parents. With your kids, know where, what you're teaching them. Know where that's going to lead. Understand what's going to happen. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. We have to choose. And this is clearly a biblical thing, but it's actually just a human thing. This is the way our world works. In fact, a scientific worldview embraces there are consequences for our action. It's what the scientific method's all about, isn't it? That I can predict if I do this, this will happen? Isn't that what science is about? If I, if I create this vaccine, I give you a vaccine, then I can predict that this will happen? I mean, so it's not just a biblical worldview, it's a human thing. And now that we agree about that, 
It's important to see that actions have consequences. We know it can be true. Then why would we not expect if somebody chooses to reject God that there are consequences for those actions? It seems like we know there are consequences for the donuts and the speeding and everything else. When it comes to God, we lose all logic as if he didn't create the whole world to show us how he works and how he and, and how he just acts. You see, God will give us what we want. If we want a life void of God, he will comply. You see, there's very, something very important we have to understand about sin. And sin from the beginning and actually every single sin we commit. It's from the very, very beginning with Adam and Eve. Rather than arguing about how old Adam and Eve is and were there just two, just all that other stuff we do when we look at Genesis 1 through 3, the big idea of Genesis 1 through 3 sets the foundation for everything else. And the most important thing to see out of Genesis 1 through 3 is the story of Adam and Eve, is the story of us. That each and every one of us, we choose sin. We choose to disobey God, and that has consequences. That's the story of the human race. Remember, Adam and Eve were created. They were created to live in paradise. He said, you can eat from any tree except one. Is anybody else like me that if they say, don't press the red button, you're going to press the red button? Yeah, God said, look, there's a thousand trees. You can eat from them, just not one. And they're like, well, I wonder what that tastes like. Right, and as you know, the serpent comes, starts questioning, starts casting doubt on the goodness of God. So, well, did God really say you can't do that? I mean, did, did he mean it? Eve answers, yes, God says we can't do it. Here's what the serpent says. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I'm telling you, this is the common human problem. This is the issue that all of us face. We were created to rule under God. He asked us to manage the earth on his behalf. He's in charge. We're middle management. How many people like staying in middle management? Let's be, none of us. You're in middle management. We're like, you know what? I want to be at the top management because it must be easy up there. And then we get up there and we're like, nope, I want to go back to middle management. It was way better in middle management. Right. We, we have a hard time understanding that God has the authority over us. And the common human problem is we want to be God. We want to be in charge. We want to be the masters of our fate. Now, I've already admitted to having authority issues. If you've been here for any length of time, I admit that all the time. But the truth is I tell you that because you do too. We all have authority issues. We all want to be in charge. We all want to be like God. You say, no, Brian, I don't. Yes, you do. You know how I know you want to be like God? It's because you want to be able to eat as many donuts as you can and still have a six-pack. You want to be able to spend as much money as you possibly, you want to spend everything and still have somehow have some left over. You want to not only be able to do whatever you want, you want to be able to control the outcomes of that. Well, who does that? God, we don't do that. We can only make choices and then live with the consequences. God makes the choices and the outcomes. Since we didn't create ourselves, 
we don't get to define how this stuff works. In fact, throughout human history, what we are on a path of doing is discovering. Science is amazing. It, it teaches us and we learn about the principles that God had already set in place. Science doesn't make these things. They're just discovering them. They're just learning about the principles and the laws that God has already set in motion. And since we didn't create ourselves, we don't get to define ourselves or how the world works. For instance, an iPhone doesn't get to say, I want to be a microwave, does it? Can it, no matter how much that iPhone wants to be a microwave, can it become a microwave? Nope. It didn't create itself. It's not what it was created for. It's not what it was made for. It doesn't get that choice. It's just a phone. And so the, that's the reason why the Bible talks so much about authority and submission. And I know we don't like those words, but we just got to learn to deal with them. Jesus says this, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What's all authority? That's the entire cosmos. Good luck beating that one. All authority. Everything is Jesus. James tells us this, James 4. He says, submit yourselves then to, to God. He's like, it's pretty simple. Submit to God. We're like, well. He's like, no, 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 no. No, just submit. Just, he's God. Like, like what he says, just, just follow that. He says, resist the, uh, resist the devil and he flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We'll talk about this more later. But double-minded, the idea is that I want to choose God and everything else. I want to serve a couple of gods. I like God, but I also want this God. Double-minded is not being clear. So he says, hey, just submit to God. Just own it. Realize he's God and you're not. You see, the problem is we can't escape God or the consequences of our actions because we didn't create ourselves. We are creatures, not creators. And you see, Jewish people, they were, trying, they were having a hard time understanding this thing as well, and, and we do. And so Paul lays it out for them in Romans, and he lays out what, he, what we're about to read. He lays out very bluntly. And I think what's going on, they're just struggling. And Paul says here, let, let me just give you some advice. Let me pull you out of the confusion. Let me pull you out of your, 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 your logic and you know, you're wise and you think you got it. He said, let me just pull you out of this. And it's an analogy. And he's rebuking a hype. Uh, he's rebutting against a hypothetical question he assumes they're going to ask. And he uses this analogy to get his point across. And Bird says this, he says, analogies are antidotal images that serve to explain one particular point, but not everything. And so we're not going to get into too much, but I just want you to understand this analogy we're about to look doesn't explain everything. But what it can do for you is when you get in those, those moments of trying to struggle between who God is and who you are, Paul says, look, if you just understand it this way, it'll pull you out of all confusion. It says Romans 9, he says, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? Here's his point. He says, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Who do you think you are? He says, shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay something, some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? We just got to deal with the fact that God can do whatever he wants to do. It doesn't mean that you like it. 
any more than a piece of clay says, I wish I was good china. How many of your plates talk? Get in arguments about that kind of... Now we can all say, I wish I had good china, right? But yet, he's like, look, he is the one who created. When you're getting in arguments with the creator, you're out of line, you're out of place. It doesn't make any sense. We have to remember that the biblical worldview says we are creatures. We're not mere products of an evolutionary accident. We are purposely created, which means our emotions and our vocations, all of them serve a meaning and a purpose. It means that love is real. That's one of the things, I, I, when, when, when I talk to somebody who doesn't believe in, in God and they're struggling, I just ask them about love. I mean, you mean to tell me love is just a chemical reaction that's happening in my body about what I feel with my kids? No, it's something much bigger than that. Because if it wasn't, I would have kicked them out. <laughs> something else is going on there. It has to be. And so we have to remember we are creatures. And like you, I've heard people tell me that when they stand before God, boy, they're going to tell them off. Y'all ever heard that? They said, I'm going to make God tell me. I said, you You are. I try not to laugh in front of them. But here's the point. If that's the God you believe in, I wouldn't believe in him either. If you believe in a God that you can beat up, that's not much of a God, is it? So you may want to check your Bible out sometime to understand who this God is they lay out. And here's what I think of when they do that. Check this out. Here's a picture of my German Shepherd Chase, okay? Oh, he's so much prettier than the cat, isn't he? This is a man's animal right here. I'm just letting you know. Okay, here's my German Shepherd Chase. He's about a little over a year, about 90 pounds. Okay? Here's Garfield. That's his name, by the way, Garfield, our cat. You see him, that little thing? About two pounds now. Okay? Same area, Chase is that big, the cat. All right, here's the the outlet. The dog's paws the size of the outlet. The cat's about the size of the outlet. That's where that works. So here's why that's important. This week, we brought the cat, and when the cat saw the dog, boy, I did not know cats just by nature were evil, right? The cat stood up, did this deep growl at the dog, and started swatting. And I looked at that cat, and Chase, he just looked at it like, are you serious? Like that's, that, that's what's going on here? And I watched the dog just ignore the cat. I mean, that cat literally, I'm not exaggerating, could fit in his mouth. And this is what I think of when someone tells me they're going to tell God off. Because how much greater is God than this German shepherd and how much smaller are we in comparison? But yet there's something inside of us like a cat that we think we're going to buck up and we're going to deal with God. In which Chase walks around going, are you, come on, man. Like, really, we're going to do this? You see, the Bible tells us that when we meet God, we will drop to our knees. And I say all of this to bring up the topic of hell. Because what you will find is any objection to hell is us simply wanting to be God. It's us wanting to divine the terms of a relationship. It's us trying to be this cat telling God how things are going to work but he's not the creator. It falls apart eventually, but you get the point. It doesn't work. As if somehow we think we are more just, 
righteous, merciful, and loving than God. We think we know. And while God is love, and I want you to embrace that and know that, God is equally just as much righteous. It's not either or, it's both and. And the Bible tells us that God's going to set the world straight. He's going to set it straight. He's going to judge. But before he does, he's given us an opportunity to be saved from judgment. Look at what the Bible tells us. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. God desires all of us to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. It says, Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. God desires for all people to be saved. How much so? Well, Jesus came and died for you. In fact, he's not judged and hasn't dealt with the world yet because he desires all people to come to his knowledge. God's desire is for people to know him. God doesn't want people to go to hell. In fact, it wasn't created for them at all. We'll talk about that in a second. But for our definition of hell, we're going to lean on Wayne Grudem. It says, hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. Hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. And I'm not going to lie, just so you know, I have done my absolute best to try to get out of a literal hell. I've done my best. In school, we have to work through what we believe about hell. I had to read different views. And like you, I mean, I, I dove pretty deep in because, and I've, I've, I've liked several views. I personally think they should be true. But I'm just letting you know, if you're going to use the Bible, biblically, you just can't get out of the, what the Bible says about hell. You can't, you can't do a theological jump through. You can't. You can't twist things enough to where the Bible can still be true and get out of hell. I mean, in the Bible, what it lays forward is hell is a real place of punishment, eternal place for the wicked. That's what the Bible says. Because biblically, we just can't get out of it. In fact, Jesus, I promise Jesus, Jesus talks about hell more than any other biblical writer. Period. Jesus talks about hell far more than heaven, and he describes hell very vivid, where he doesn't heaven. You see, there's no denying that Jesus is our Savior. We, we all know how important Jesus is to our faith. He is the, the center of it. Jesus talks about it, and Jesus believed hell was a real, literal, horrible place. And perhaps it's hell that drove him to the cross. See, we have a hard time understanding. Why would Jesus die such a bloody, horrible death for us? Why would he take that on for us? Well, it's perhaps because he knew hell was real. Perhaps it's out of his great love. And though what the Bible tells us, God demonstrated his love for us, and his love is so great, and he knew the realities of hell, that because of hell, hell drove him to the cross. So you and I, we don't have to experience it. Jesus came to save us from hell. Michael Bird breaks it down like this. He says, go back one. He says, I'm very conscious of, re conscious of reducing evangelism to some kind of offer of fire insurance for young people. 
sign this card, walk down this aisle, or say this prayer, and you won't suffer the flames of hell. He says, but something has to be said about the exhortation to save yourself from this corrupt generation. Acts 2.40. It says, if salvation is from judgment, and if the final judgment is meted out in hell, then salvation is from hell. Pure and simple. A gospel that is not warned of the final judgment is like telling the citizens of ancient Pompeii that, the, um, that an umbrella made of straw will be sufficient enough to protect them, well, from that volcano. I don't know how to say that word, but from that volcano that erupted. You get the point. I'm glad you guys read and you know it, okay? You want to preach too? Just kidding. But you get the point, and, and that struck, stuck out to me because it, it's just true. I mean, salvation is from hell. I mean, if we reduce it all the way, the way down. When we understand the realities of hell, then we will understand the full implications of the gospel. We understand there is a need to share the gospel. And we need to understand and think through, are we actually saved? Do we really believe in Jesus? And are we ready to tell other people about Jesus? Because the very real and uncomfortable fact, according to Jesus, is hell is a real place where God will judge the wicked. And we have to make a choice. John 3, 36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. And you see, it's because of love I understand wrath. For instance, let some man mess with my little baby girl. Because of my love for my little baby girl, that little man will see the wrath of, of daddy. Well, I will feel like showing the wrath. Might not, might not. Depends on where the line is for jail and things like that, getting caught. You understand how that works. You got to work through all that kind of stuff. But wrath doesn't disprove my love at all. Wrath, well, you can kind of see my love, see my love for something, and God loves us and wants something for us. Now, let's talk about the two places in the Bible. It talks about the place called Hades and hell. Hades and hell. And I'm going to do my best. Here's all I got. Hades seems to be the holding place. And the Bible translates a couple different words. One is translated as Hades, one is translated hell. And the Bible and Hades seems to be the holding place before the final destination of hell. Similar to heaven is the intermediate place before the final destination of the new creation. Hades seems to be the intermediate place for the wicked before the final destination of hell. That's all I got for you on that one, but that's that's where we're at with Hades, the difference between Hades and hell. And then there's hell. Here's what the Bible says about it. Mark 9, 43. It says, if you cause your hands to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter, enter eternal life maimed than with two hands going into hell where the fire never goes out. Next verse. Matthew 25, 41. Then he would have said to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. Who's, who was it made for, by the way? The devil and his angels. Hell was not made for humans. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. Remember that. It wasn't made for us. Matthew 25, 46. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see, here's what you can't get out of it. If you believe in eternal life, this idea of heaven being with God, 
Well, then you got to believe in the counter because Jesus said they're both there. Mark 9, 47 says, and if your eye calls you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, Paul, Jesus is quoting, but here's what I want to know. Worms that eat them do not die? In hell, there are worms that eat people. Them must be people that do not die. There are eternal worms, okay? That's, I don't know what that means. I don't like it, though. Do you? Right, if they do not die, they don't die, there's fire. How does that work? I don't know, I don't want to know. Jude 13, there's no chapters in Jude, okay, just to let you know, I didn't mistype it, Jude 13. says, there are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars from whom the blackest darkest darkness has been reserved forever. Revelation 14, 9 through 10 says that a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, never forget that, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Whew. Next one. Revelation 21, 7 through 8 says, Those who are victorious will inherit all this. That's the new creation. And I will be the God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexual morale, sexual immoral, those practicing magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And this is the second death. Luke 12, 5 says this, But I will show you whom you should fear. This is Jesus. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you in to hell. Yes, Jesus says, I tell you, fear him. And of course, we can get into conversations and try to figure out how all these metaphorical images work together. We can say, are they real? Is it, is it a metaphor? We can dig down deep and go, well, hold on. Jude said it's total blackness, but it also says there's fire. That means it can't be black. Therefore, I'm not believing, right? We can dive down deep into all those conversations and wonder, how can it be true? Black and flames, I don't get it. But I'm going to be gut-wrenching honest with you. That's what you get from all those verses? Like, that's where you go with it? I mean, what I get from those passages is hell is clearly a place I don't want to go. It's clearly a place I don't want to know how it all works. It's clearly a place that is not going to be fun and a place of an enjoyment at all. I really don't care how it works. I want to be with God. I don't want to be in that. Because whatever hell is like, Paul tells us this, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10, he says, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On that day he comes to be glorified in his holy people, to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed the testimony to you. See, whatever hell is, it's a place that we're going to be shut out from the glory and the goodness of God. And I don't think many of us realize how much goodness, even though your life may be hard, 
I don't, re- I don't think you realize how much of the goodness of God you're still living under. But God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want to cast people out of his presence. But when you reject God's offer of salvation, as if you're going to tell him off, as if you're stronger to deal with the wrath of God, I mean, that's the position people are putting themselves in. They're saying, well, I can deal with God. I'm going to tell him. He's not going to do that to me. The Bible says, I don't think you know who God is. He's going to deal with it. And if you reject God's offer of salvation, we'll give you exactly what you want. He'll cast you away from his presence. And you will go, to the, go with the other people who rejected him. And to with the demons and angels who have rejected him. That's what they are. And you say, well, well, what about those who've never heard the gospel? What about them? Well, you have to come back next week. Because you picked that topic as well. But I need you to understand what happens to people who don't, uh, what happens to people who've never heard has nothing to do with is hell real. Those aren't the same thing. Heaven, eternal glory, and the new creation, a new earth, is contrasted with Hades and hell, the place absent and void of God. But for today, we have to understand, we are merely creatures. We aren't the creator, and we are bound by the choices we make. And according to the Bible, heaven and hell, they're very real places. Hell is talked about far more than heaven, and if you believe in heaven, you have to believe in hell. In fact, if you believe in God's love and goodness and kindness, then you have to believe in God's, um, God's wrath and God's righteousness. They're not exclusive ideas. That's who God is. They come together to form a picture of who he is. And ultimately, hell is the place that people choose to go. I know that's hard to think through. We say, well, God should have done another choice. We don't get to pick that. We don't get to pick the options laid before us. That's because we're not God. And that's what we have to deal with. And some of us, we're still struggling with that. We want to be God. I'm telling you, it's the common human issue. But you're not. So we don't get to pick that. As Bird says, summing up N.T. Wright, he says, I summarize the following. Tom Wright, that's such a per- following Tom Wright, that such persons have eternal entered a post-human state. They became what they worshipped, greed, lust, power, and they ceased to reflect the divine image in any meaningful sense. They arrived at a state beyond hope and beyond pity. Hell, then, is the eternal and punitive quarantining of a humanity that has ceased to be human. See, we were made in the image of God to reflect God. If we reject God, he's going to give us what we want. A life void of him. It's not going to be what they're expecting. See, hell isn't something God wants. Hell is what people choose. And they're choosing, I mean, even if you choose not to believe in him, you understand that's a choice, correct? We're saying I reject him and and I reject that narrative and I'm going to chart my own path. In fact, here's what I think is true. What are you choosing there? To know enough, like you, you know, like you somehow just know, you choose, yep, yep, then God's going to give you what you want, a life void of God. 
And they're fighting a losing battle because as we can learn in this life, we don't have to wait till it's too late. That actions have consequences. We can choose to surrender to the creator of the universe. We can choose to surrender his offer of salvation. Or we can choose to live as our own God, hoping that what we pick from whoever came up with it is the right path. But biblically, he's going to give us what we want. And you see that cat at my house, that little kitten? One way or another, that little kitten's going to learn who's really in charge between him and the dog. I hope it finds out the easy way. I hope it chooses to reconcile and be friends rather than, well, whatever else it thinks it might try to accomplish with that dog. And I hope you have dealt with in your life and have chosen to submit to the authority of God and have chosen to accept the offer of salvation, the grace that he's given. So you don't have to find out what hell's about. You don't have to experience it because hell is real. Jesus came to save you from it. So I can't help but ask, where are you with that? Have you given your life to Christ? Because what, I mean, I'm telling you, I've heard so many preachers try to scare people to death, but that's what Jesus told them. Hell is real. It's a real place. I don't want you to go. How much do I not want you to go? I'm going to die for you. How much more can he show us? He doesn't want us to go and he doesn't want you to go either. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come and learn. We thank you for the topics that... Our church has asked, and Lord, hell is a very real scary place, and Lord, we don't understand it. But what we're so thankful for is that you are a righteous, good God, that you have prepared a place of glory that we can live with you. We thank you that we don't have to earn that on our own merits, that we don't have to somehow do more good than bad, that we don't have to keep guessing how to please you. We're so thankful that you sent Jesus Christ to be our atoning sacrifice. That he gave up his life so we can live. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that all we have to do is believe that you came to save. That has put our trust and hope in Jesus. We thank you for that, Father. Forgive us of all of our sins, Lord, and please pull on our heart. Those of us who don't know you, please pull on our heart to make that decision to follow you. We love you and thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Will you stand? We're going to sing one more song. And what we have to understand... Whoa, wait one second. What we have to understand about that, as you stand, is when it comes to Jesus and it comes to understanding what he's done for us, we are embracing that our works are not good enough and that we can't be good enough and we're embracing that the narrative that Jesus was perfect and that Jesus died so we could be with him, that's what belief is. It's believing that we are not God. It's repenting from the fact we want to be. It's believing that we are not God and that we're not good enough, but he is God and he is good enough. We put our faith and trust in him saying, I, don't, I can't do it, but Jesus can if you haven't done that today, I will be here standing up if you want to come up front or after the service, if you feel more comfortable, I'll be in this back connection room and I'll talk to you as long as possible. But I ask you today to do business with the Lord. Will you stand with me as we sing?